little bit too high for him. Something uh, thinner for him. Change, change. Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 16th of October, October 2013. Uh, we are in the Deer Park Monastery in the Ocean of Peace Meditation Hall. This is our last day of the retreat with the theme Finding Our True Home. When uh, Thay was uh, coming in, he here people singing, uh, we are the leaves of one tree, right? We are the stars of one sky, right? So we should not fight each other. So when you go back to school, if someone is trying to hit you, or to, uh, to say something unkind to you, remember to tell him or her that we are the same, we are the, the leaves of the same tree. We are the, the, the stars of one sky. This is a wisdom. And uh, next time when someone is aggressive, someone is violent, someone is trying to hit you or to say something provocative, and then you remember to breathe in and out. Because you have been in a retreat. You have learned how to be peace, to be peaceful. Right? And uh, if you don't get angry at that person, you win. <laughs> you win. You win not only for you, but for the other person. That is uh, what the Buddha said. If uh, in face of provocation, anger, violence, if you can uh, be peaceful, smiling, and compassion, compassionate. You are the winners. You are the winner. And not only you win for yourself, but you win for the other person. So if we train to uh, breathe in and out, mindfully to calm down, and then we will not be angry and violent. We remain uh, fresh and pleasant and peaceful and we win. And we win for both. Just remember that. I have wanted to give a talk to children about how to invite the bell and, uh, and breathe together every morning before you go to school or before you go to bed, but we have not got, have not got the time. 
So I propose that um, we can get a CD, a DVD home of the talk they gave uh, on the 29th of September this year in Magnolia, uh, uh, Magnolia Practice Center. This is, this is a talk about how to hold a bell and how to invite the bell and how to breathe in order to calm down, to have peace and restore freshness and beauty. And I like, uh, I like you to listen to that, that Dhamma talk. Remember, ask for the talk of the 29th of September this year. I have asked the brothers to, um, to, uh, to prepare some of these uh, CDs. Today we have a talk on, uh, on uh, birth and death, and it may be boring. <laughs> so uh, the young, the children may like to go out and practice outside. And uh, after that, after one hour uh, and a half, you'll be invited to be back here and we sing together the song of No Coming, No Going. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so when the children hear the sound of the little bell, they stand up and bow to the Sangha before they go out. Only children.
There are a few questions yesterday that we did not have the time to answer. Like this one, I can be mindful of my breath when I sit, walk, eat or listen. But as soon as I speak, I lose my attention to my breath. How can I keep attention on the breath when speaking? In that case, you may be mindful of what you are saying. <laughs> Mindfulness of speaking, that's good enough. Mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of speaking, they are the same. You don't, you don't lose your practice. Political discourse is now deeply toxic and intolerant, especially in the US. How do we use practice deep listening and not consume the negativity? How do we socially engage with the toxic communication? Please tell us, please talk to us about grief, especially for our children who have died young recently. Dear Thay, as a teacher, I see youth in our schools and community getting very angry. Some say they forget all about peace practice when they feel mad or threatened. So they uh, react first and regret later. What advice can you give uh, teachers and parents to share with youth? How can they practice in a way that helps them to remember to breathe or walk away first to take care of their fears and stress? On the 23rd, uh, we are going to be with um, uh, employees of Google, and we propose them to uh, invent something that can help us, uh, remind us to breathe when uh, anger is coming up, violence is coming up, because there may be uh, 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 electronic uh, gadget that can detect our anger, <laughs> our violence, and invite the bell for us to breathe and uh, go back to ourselves and practice uh, mindful breathing uh, to handle the fear, the anger, uh, the violence in us. But uh, I think uh, parents should practice and school teachers should practice so that they can transmit uh, the practice to their students and children. And uh, we have trained thousands of school teachers and parents in many countries like India, Thailand, France, United Kingdom and so on, so that they can uh, put it into practice in their family and bring it to uh, schools. So please, um, 
support and uh, participate in this kind of work in order to help uh, change the situation and reduce the amount of violence and anger in the younger generation. Can there be peace without war? Because we have been talking about interbeing, there cannot be left without right, lotus without mud, suffering without uh, happiness, and so on. So the question is, can there be peace without war? No. Because uh, this is, uh, this, this, this reflects uh, the dualistic thinking. And uh, we are caught by the appearance, by the outside aspects. We think that war is uh, when there is no bomb exploding or gun firing. But why is always there? Why is inside of us? When there is, uh, when there, there are many things uh, conflicting in ourselves, there is war. On one hand, we want to do this, but on, on one hand, we want to do the other thing also. So there is a, a kind of conflict inside. When uh, anger is coming up, when you have the tend- tendency to say or to do something to punish, that is why. Why is always there. Don't think that why is not there. That's because uh, you don't hear the bombs exploding, no. War is always there. The mud is always there. And that is why we have to learn how to make peace. And with what? With materials in the zone of war. Make use of uh, the mud. Because war is already there. We don't have to produce more war in order to have peace. We just make good use of the no peace element, non-peace, no peace elements that are already there in order to, to bring peace. And the good thing is that both war and peace, they are impermanent. Peace is beautiful, peace is very pleasant, but if you don't know how to to fit, to maintain peace, it will turn into war. War is unpleasant, painful, but if you know how to make good use of the suffering, and then you can produce peace. And both war and peace are impermanent, and they both they are at the same time, they inter are in the here and the now. That's why you have to look deeply to recognize war as war, peace of peace, as peace, and try to nourish peace and try to make good use of the element of war in order to make peace. So the, the, the principle of interbeing is still uh, uh, seen in war uh, and peace. 
The same thing is true with birth and death. There cannot be birth without death. And we don't like death, we only like birth and life. And that is impossible. Contemplating birth and death can help us have more peace and we can enjoy more the time given to us to live in this very moment. Birth and death happen happen at the same time. Uh, when you look uh, into your body as a biologist, you see that uh, in this very moment many many cells are dying. Many thousands, hundreds of thousands of cells in our body are dying at this very moment. And many new cells are being born at this very moment. So birth and death are happening in the here and the now. The death of a cell happens always. When you crash like that, you know that many dead cells fall on the ground. We are so busy, we cannot um, organize funerals for ourselves. <laughs> many of them die. Many of them die in every moment. And many cells are being born in the present moment, and we don't have the time to celebrate their birthday either. So birth and death are happening right here and right now. And you feel fine, right? <laughs> because where there is death, there is birth. Death is a very basic condition for birth to take place. And where is death, there must be birth at the same time. At the same time. Let us contemplate uh, a cloud dying. A cloud can die slowly. Maybe half a cloud can die and be transformed into the rain. But that's not exactly dying. That is transforming only. So the death of the cloud means the birth of the the, the rain. So there cannot be birth without death. There cannot be death without birth. So when we think about the time when we, we breathe our last, we think that oh, of, uh, of that moment as the moment of death, of our death. But in fact, we are dying right now, right here. And we are being born right here and right now. We of this moment are no longer we of the, the present, uh, present moment. We undergo birth and death in every minute, every second. And birth and death, they always go together. So that moment of which you are afraid is a moment of of birth also. There cannot be death without birth. But death, we don't need to wait until that moment in order to see death. Death is already here, accompanied with birth, right away at the same time. Like this. So meditation allowed us to see many things that people 
would not see. And uh, in this tradition, we speak of two kinds of truth, the conventional truth and the ultimate truth. Uh, on the level of conventional truth, there we can speak of birth and death, you and I, as two different things. But in the ultimate uh, uh, level, on the ultimate level of, of uh, truth, there is no birth and no death. And scientists, they are looking deeply into the nature of uh, things and they have discovered very much the same thing. Like uh, the first law of thermodynamics, that is about the conservation of matter, the conservation of energy. And according to that law, nothing is born, nothing dies. Our body is, uh, whether it is uh, matter, our mind, uh, the nature of our body is no birth and no death. Our mind is matter or energy that is not important. But uh, our mind also is nature, is nature of no birth and no death. And science has um, told us that as far as matter and energy are concerned, there is no birth and no death. You cannot create matter. You cannot create energy. You cannot destroy matter. You cannot destroy energy. You can transfer one kind of matter to another kind of matter. You can make matter into energy. You can make one sort of energy into another sort of energy. You can make energy go back to matter, but you cannot destroy or create. That's nature of both matter and energy. And matter, energy, and energies are not two different things. They inter-are. So uh, we have, we tend to think that our body is matter and our consciousness is uh, mm, uh, so is uh, is mind, mind and matter. But but that kind of uh, dualistic thinking can be wrong. Our body is not matter. It can be energy. It, and our mind is energy, but it is matter. So, so to think that the brain is uh, matter and it produces uh, the mind as uh, some something not matter that's that's does not sound right and in the tradition of Buddhism, right in the beginning we see the object of our mind as the object of our mind and not something independent from our mind, so the cosmos. The, the stars, the moon, the sun, the mountains, the rivers, they are objects of our mind. And first of all, they are our mind. And this also, this flower is the object of our mind. 
That is something we can be sure of. As whether this flower exists independently outside of our mind, nobody so far has been able to demonstrate that. We know that the five mindfulness trainings uh, that we received this morning represent uh, the path of transformation and healing, the path of happiness, the noble path. And the noble path uh, has uh, eight uh, elements. And the first element is a right view. Right view. It means uh, a kind of insight that transcends uh, all kind of discrimination. If you think that matter and energy are two different things that can exist outside of each other, that's not right view. If you think that body and mind are two different entities, that is wrong view. If you think that war and peace are two separate entities, they can exist outside of each other, that is not right view. So right view can be described as uh, the insight of interbeing. But that morning when uh, the Venerable Katyayana came and asked the Buddha, what is right view? And he gave uh, a very short um, answer. He said, right view is the kind of insight that transcends the notion of being and non-being. And the Buddha also said that many people in the world are caught either in the notion of being or in the notion of non-being. That is why uh, uh, they are victims of so much uh, afflictions like fear, anger, separation, discrimination. So right view is uh, the kind of insight, the transcending transcending uh, many notions, like the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. And there are four, there are four uh, pairs of opposites that can represent all other kinds of opposites. And that is uh, birth and death, being and non-being. Coming and going. And uh, sameness and unness. 
And we can say that uh, right view is the kind of uh, wisdom, the kind of insight that transcends the notion of birth and death, being and non-being, coming and going, sameness and otherness. And with meditation, you can touch, you can get that insight and transcend all kind of fear, all kind of uh, discrimination. And with that kind of right view, you can practice uh, right thinking. Right thinking can be defined uh, in uh, many ways. According to this teaching, right thinking should be based on right view. which means the thinking that is uh, free from all kind of dissemination and free from these notions as well. And because uh, there is no discrimination, uh, it's not caught by uh, dualistic thinking, and that's why your thinking is characterized with understanding and compassion. And when you produce a thought full of understanding and compassion, that thought begins to heal you, begins to heal you and heal the world. If you produce a thought of discrimination full of fear and anger and despair, that thought begins to destroy your body and destroy the world. A thought of hate, a thought of hate and despair and anger may lead you to kill yourself or kill another person. But a thought full of understanding and compassion can only heal you and help heal the world. So a good practitioner is someone who is capable of producing thoughts that can heal themselves and heal the world. And thoughts like that can be produced many times a day. Just by right thinking, you can heal the world. And right thinking is not possible without right view, without the absence of discrimination. Then with right view, you have uh, right speech, Without discrimination, there is no anger, there is no fear. What you say is full of understanding and compassion. What you write down in the letter is full of understanding and compassion. And while you are writing the letter, you get the healing. Compassion has the power to heal. Scientists have, uh, have discovered that uh, compassion can reduce inflammation uh, on the cellular uh, level and heal. And that is why when you speak to another person, when you write him or her a letter, or when you use telephone, if uh, what you say is full of understanding of suffering, 
and of uh, compassion. You are healing yourself by speaking, and you are healing the other person by what you say. And a good professional can always say things like that several times a day. When you open your mouth, what you say has the power to heal. Because uh, what you say is so full of love and compassion. You are so generous. Because you have a lot of compassion and love in your heart. Therefore, everything you say can make the person suffer less. And you suffer less also. And then uh, with right view, we can practice right action. This action is uh, taken by, by your body, physical of, of bodily action. This action, thinking is a kind of action, and the mind is performing that action. And speech is a kind of action that is performed by your mouth, and this is performed by your body. And uh, you are more your thought, your speech, and your action than your body. Usually we think that we are our body, but in fact, we are more of our action than of, uh, of our body. So action, the Sanskrit word is karma, karma. Yep. And it is a triple action. When you produce a thought, that all is already action. That can heal or that can destroy. When you say something that is already action, that can make a person mad or that can heal a person. When you do something to protect to save, to nourish, to support. That is a good action. And, uh, and uh, we produce action every day. And uh, no action is ever lost. And even when this uh, body disintegrates, you continue always with your action. What you have produced cannot be lost. Nothing can die. And that is why if in the present moment you care about producing only right thinking, right speech, and right action, you assure a beautiful continuation. If you produce thoughts of hate, anger, and despair, your feel continuation will not be beautiful. So by taking good care of the present moment, by having right view, you can produce the kind of thought, speech, and action that can assure you uh, and the world a better future, a more beautiful uh, future. And even if your body can no longer be seen, you continue always. When the cloud is no longer in the sky, you don't say that the cloud 
has died. No, it is continued by the rain, by the river, and so on. So it is, it is impossible to die. It is possible to continue. And you can continue beautifully if you know how. There is a French uh, philosopher, Jean Paul Sartre, and he said something very close. He said, man is the totality of his action. Man is not his body. L'homme est la somme de ses actes. Man is the sum of his action. So we are not body, we are our karma. And today, the karma is the karma uh, cause, and tomorrow the karma is the karma fruit. Karma hitu and karma fala. Cause karma fruit. And with the right view, we will choose a kind of uh, livelihood that will not harm other people and harm nature. And that is the right livelihood. And uh, with right view, we can practice what we call the right diligence. This we have already learned the other day about uh, the art of uh, selective watering. You water the good seed in you, you refrain from watering the negative seed in you, and your partner also practice the same, and you both support each other. So this uh, practice of bright relations can bring happiness very quickly. You can create happiness very quickly. And then we already have six, and the two others we already have learned, that is mindfulness, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Mindfulness is the kind of energy that we generate by mind, by breathing, by walking, by living our life mindfully. And mindfulness carries within itself the energy of concentration. And when mindfulness and concentration are there, you begin to get right view.
and right view can be hidden in mindfulness and in concentration. If we learn how to live mindfully and with concentration, right view naturally um, uh, manifest. So this, uh, these eight elements are component of the of the noble path, and the five uh, the five mindfulness trainings are just the very concrete uh, expression of this uh, path uh, of healing and uh, transformation. The other day we have learned the, the first two sets of uh, mindful breathing. The first four is about how to take care of our of our body, mindfulness of body, to be aware of uh, our in breath and out breath. Breathing in, I know this is my in-breath. Breathing out, I know this is my out-breath. The second exercise of mindful breathing is to follow my in-breath and out-breath all the way through. The third, breathing in, I'm aware of my body. And the fourth exercise, I calm my body. I release the tension in my body. And these exercises help us to take care of our body, not to allow tension and stress to, to, to cause suffering to harm our body. And then we have the second set of four. That help us to take care of our feelings and emotions. Breathing in, I Bring in, I generate a feeling of joy. Uh, a good practitioner is capable of uh, bringing joy, of generating joy, because uh, she knows how to bring her mind home to her body, establish herself in the present moment, and recognize the many wonders of life and the many conditions of happiness that are available. That is why joy can be born instantaneously. Generating joy. The second
The sixth is to generate uh, a feeling of happiness. The seventh is to be aware, to recognize the painful feeling, the painful emotion that is coming up. And the eighth is how to embrace and to calm the painful emotion. So the seventh and the eighth are similar to the three and the fourth. This is to be aware of the body, and the fourth is to calm the body. This is to be aware of the painful feeling, and here is to calm the painful feeling. And parents and teachers should know how to how to dare to handle a strong emotion, a painful emotion, so that they can transmit the practice to the young people. And we know that it is possible to use the energy of mindfulness in order to embrace our pain. When a strong emotion is coming up, we know, we can feel that. It's like a storm, the symptoms of a, the coming of a storm, we know. So we should uh, abandon what we are doing and get ready to, to handle the strong emotion that is coming up. And uh, the practice of uh, deep, mindful breathing, um, belly breathing, is very helpful because with uh, the stomach you can breathe much more deeply. You sit in a you you are in a sitting position or in a lying position, and you may like to put your your hand on on your stomach, abdomen. And you you like to begin breathing in and notice the rising of your abdomen. Don't stay on this level. This level is a level of thinking. The more you think, the more you are confused and the emotion will be stronger. So bring your attention down to this level, the navel. Dandian. And breathe in and focus your attention on the rising of your abdomen. And when you breathe out deeply, you focus your attention on the falling of your abdomen. Breathing in, it may take seven seconds or nine seconds or ten seconds. Right now, it can take 10 or 15 seconds. And just focus your attention on that, on the rising and falling of your abdomen, and persist. Do not think. Do not think anymore. When there is a storm, and you look out the window, you see a tree suffering. If you focus your attention on the top of the tree, you see, you feel the fragility of the of the tree. 
and you have the impression that the tree may be broken at any time. But if you focus your attention on the trunk of the tree, you see that it is uh, deeply rooted in the soil, and you have another impression. So we are stronger down here than up here. This is our trunk. And that is why uh, in the time of a strong emotion, we should bring our mind down here, our attention down here, and stop holding entirely the thinking, and just focus our attention on the, on the rising and falling of the abdomen. And you are safe. You are safe. And uh, there is an insight that you have to keep alive during the time. That insight is very important. That your emotion is impermanent. It comes, stay for some time, and you have to go. Why do you have to die just because of one emotion? You are much more than one emotion. That is the insight you already have. So while breathing, you keep that insight alive. Many young people, they do not know how to do this, which is simple enough for everyone to do. They don't know how to handle a strong emotion. And when they suffer so much, they believe that they, the only way to stop suffering is to go and kill themselves. And many young people are doing that every day, everywhere. In America, in France, in Great Britain, in Hong Kong, many young people commit suicide every day. Every day. And that is because uh, they are not taught how to deal with a strong emotion. So parents and teachers have to master the practice and transmit it to the, the, the students, the children. And we have to, uh, to train ourselves so that uh, breathing can become a habit. Every time we have the problem, we know how to go back to our in-breath and out-breath and breathe mindfully. We are there in order to, to take care of ourselves, to handle what is to be handled. So if we uh, practice every day uh, that kind of breathing, it will become a habit. And when the emotion comes, we remember to practice. Otherwise, at that time, we will forget the practice and allow the emotion to take over. That's not good. So if we practice uh, daily, in a few weeks, it will become a habit. And it's pleasant. To practice mindful breathing, deep breathing is very pleasant. The other day, sitting on the mountain, I felt so pleasant to breathe in and out. The, the air was so fresh. Uh, I had that uh, now wash in my ear, my ear, and I count uh, breathing in nine seconds and breathing out 14 seconds. And every breath is the delight and nourishing and healing you. And if every day we know we, we, uh, we begin our day by mindful breathing, uh, practice mindful breathing five minutes before you go to sleep, and then it becomes a habit. And every time a strong emotion comes, 
we know how to do, what to do. And you are safe. We are truly safe uh, during the, that, that difficult time. Stop the thinking. Focus your attention on the rising and falling of your abdomen. Keep alive that, that, uh, that insight. You are more than your emotion. You don't have to die just because of one emotion. And the school teachers can hold the hand of one student who is a victim of, uh, <clears throat> of an emotion and teach him to breathe because the teacher or the parent knows how to do it. So holding the hand of a child, you say, Darling, shall we breathe together? Breathing in, I know my stomach is rising. Breathing out, my abdomen is falling. Rising, falling. So help the child to stop thinking and to focus on that. And the child will learn and you may save uh, his or her life just by teaching him or her that kind of practice. So this, uh, the practice that we receive in this retreat, how to release the tension in our body, how to generate a feeling of joy and happiness in the here and the now, how to recognize the pain, how to, uh, how to calm down, a feeling, an emotion, how to listen with compassion and using loving speech in order to restore communication and to reconcile. All these things, you don't need to be Buddhist in order to practice. And uh, if you can bring that practice into the family and into the school, we can change the world. Happy uh, teachers, happy parents will change the world. We don't need a budget. We don't. We don't need. Uh, <laughs> we need the pra- practice only. And uh, we can go further as a practitioner. Not only we can da- calm down a uh, strong emotion, but we can transform it. Next time when it comes, we will do exactly the same thing and it will lose some of its strength until it is transformed. So if you have succeeded one time uh, handling a strong emotion, you are not afraid anymore of a strong emotion. You know that next time when a strong emotion comes, you do just that. And to survive a strong emotion is something you can do. with the nine exercise. We come to the realm of uh, mental formation, mind. Mind is made of uh, mental formations. Our mind is like a river. And every drop of water in the river of mind is a mental formation. And mental formations are of several kinds. 
there are good mental formations like mindfulness, concentration, insight, loving kindness, non-violence, joy. And there are negative mental formations like anger, craving, fear, jealousy, confusion. And there are uh, neutral kind of uh, of uh, mental formations that can be can turn to be good or uh, uh, not good according to the situation. And that is why uh, the nine exercise of mindful breathing is to recognize, to be aware of the mental formation that is manifesting. I don't know whether uh, the organizers have uh, offered you a list of uh, mental formations. When I was a novice, I had to learn, memorize the names of all mental formations so that every time one come up, I have to recognize and call it by its true name. Hello, my anger, I know your name. I will take good care of you. So you are sitting by the bank of the river of the mind and observe and become aware of every mental formation that is coming up, recognizing them. And look deeply into their nature. And the tenth exercise of mindful breathing Is to is to make it uh, to make beautiful our mind. This is we have. This is what we have uh, learned already with right diligence. Our mind is made of uh, store consciousness and mind consciousness. So the tenth exercise is to is to allow only to invite only the good mental formation to manifest here. The mental formation of uh, compassion, of loving kindness, of non-discrimination, of joy. We all have that kind of seed in ourselves, and by helping each other's we can always water the good seeds down here and make them manifest up here to make the mind beautiful, glad, happy. To make the mind happy, to make the mind glad and beautiful. This is a gladdening. The mind. And this is a part of the practice of dry religions, selective watering. You can make uh, a person happy very quickly by, by 
watering a seed of happiness in him or in her or in yourself. So the elephant exercise of mindful breathing is to concentrate your mind. That is the practice of concentration. <clears throat> and uh, the twelfth exercise of mindful breathing is to liberate the mental formation. We know that mindfulness and concentration has the power to liberate because mindfulness and concentration help us to get the insight. And that insight has the power to liberate and to transform. And that is why not only we can calm down our pain, but we can go further, we can transform it. And uh, the last four is about the object of mind. Because each mental formation has its own object. Perception is a perception of something. Being angry is always angry at something. So this is about the object of our mind. And uh, the 13th is uh, the contemplation of impermanence, contemplating impermanence. Peace is impermanent. War is also impermanent. Happiness is impermanent. Suffering is also impermanent. That is why everything is possible. The 14 is contemplating non-craving. The fifteen is uh, contemplating nirvana. And the sixteen is uh, contemplating letting go.
these are four kind of uh, concentrations that are proposed to help us to liberate our mind and to get the transformation and healing. <coughs> When we contemplate impermanence, we can get the insight of no self and interbeing. Because uh, we define self as something that, uh, that is impermanent. The self is uh, imagined as something identical to itself, always, does not change. Even if you go old, you still, you are still yourself. So if we recognize, we touch the nature of, uh, of uh, impermanence, we touch at the same time the nature of no self. There is no uh, uh, unchanging entity because self is an unchanging entity that remains the same through space and time. But there is nothing like that in the five uh, elements that make up our person. So there is nothing permanent. There is no, nothing unchanging. Everything is impermanent. There is no, no, no lasting self that remains the same thing forever. And non-craving is, um, is the object of our, of our, our, our search. We long to something. We aspire to something. We want to get something. That something may be, um, may be sensual pleasure, may be uh, wealth, may be fame, may be power, may be God, may be the kingdom of God, may be nirvana. We may crave for nirvana. We may crave for for for, uh, for happiness. So uh, this uh, is to uh, contemplate that uh, everything is already there in the present moment. You don't have to run after anything else. Peace is already there. Happiness is already there. The Buddha is already there. The kingdom of God is already there. You need only to wake up in order to recognize it. Not only you crave for the four objects of your uh, of uh, of desire, but you may crave for salvation. You may crave for enlightenment. You may crave for the kingdom of God, and you continue to run ahead and abandon yourself, abandon the present moment. And uh, contemplating Nirvana is contemplating the true nature of reality that are free from all these notions of birth and death and being and non-being. 
and the 16 letting go, of course, letting go of ideas, including your idea of happiness. One day the Buddha was sitting with his monks. They are about to uh, to eat their lunch. And the farmer came by and asked whether the monks have seen his cows passing by. The Buddha asked, what cows? He said that well, I have four cows. And we don't know why this morning all of them have run away. And uh, I have four acres of sesame seed plants, but uh, this year the insects have eaten them all. I suffer so much, I think I'm going to kill myself. The Buddha said, uh, no, we have, we have not seen any cows passing by, by, by this direction, so please go and look for them uh, in the other direction. So when the farmer is gone, the Buddha turned to his monks, smiling, and said, My dear friends, you are very lucky. You don't have any cows to lose. (laughs) A monk is supposed not to have cows. So the practice uh, is that we have to release our cows in order to be truly free and happy. And one of the cows we, we keep is our idea of happiness. We may think that we can be happy only if we can get this or that, if we can get rid of this or that. And that idea of happiness may be the very obstacle for our true happiness. A country uh, might believe that uh, without uh, that kind of ideology, uh, it cannot be become a mighty uh, country, prosperous, and rich, like the Soviet Union. They thought that uh, Marxism, Leninism is uh, the only way to become a strong nation, a real power. And they entertained that kind of notion for 70 years. It's too long. 
and during that time, they have created a lot of uh, suffering for those who do not agree with that idea of happiness. So, how long you have been entertaining your idea of happiness? You might think that if you cannot get this or that, you cannot be truly happy. That might be an obstacle. So, that is the biggest of the cows you have to release. And you might like to, to take a piece of paper and get some time to sit down and write down the names of your cows. <laughs> you believe that without this cow or the other cow, you cannot survive. But maybe this cow is the very obstacle for, for your happiness. You feel that without that cow, you feel lost, you feel lost. And you cannot continue to be. So, we have many cows to release. So you have to sit down and try to remember and to write down the names of our cows and learn to release one by one. The more you release, the happier you become. You don't have to go and look for happiness. Has happiness just come to you by itself if you know how to release your cows. So nirvana may be a cow. Enlightenment may be a cow. You are looking for it. And that is why uh, it's very helpful to reconsider. Let us uh, do together uh, a, uh, a meditation. Visualizing this uh, line represents uh, time. We have uh, a dualistic way of thinking about time and space. But time and space, they inter-are. You cannot take time out of space and vice versa. You cannot even take, uh, take, uh, take uh, uh, matter out of uh, space and space out of, uh, of matter. And uh, if we touch the nature of interbeing, we have another way of thinking, which is uh, right thinking and it will save a lot of uh, time. Suppose uh, we take uh, this point of time to be our birth, and then we will believe that uh, we begin to exist only from point B. So we the segment ending with B represents uh, your non-existence, non-being. You were not there. You begin here and you continue to be from B on. And this segment beginning from B, you call it uh, being. And you continue to be <laughs> until you come to a point that's called D. 
<laughs> and when you come to the Pandi, you stop being and you enter the realm of non-being again. That is the kind, the way of thinking many of us uh, have. That uh, to be born means from no nothing you become something. From no one you become someone. And the birth certificate is a proof of that belief. <laughs> and death means from something you become nothing. From someone you become no one. And that is considered by the Buddha as wrong thinking. Wrong view. Wrong thinking comes from wrong view. When we meditate on the cloud, we may ask ourselves, what is the when, when does it take place, the time of the birth of a cloud? Can we speak about the birth of a cloud? The moment when the cloud from non-being becomes being. And you can see very well that before expressing herself as a cloud, the cloud had been something else already. Before expressing herself as a, in the form of a cloud, the cloud had been water in the ocean, in the lakes in the heat of the sunshine, in the steam, in the water vapor. So it is not true to say that uh, the cloud has come from the realm of non-being. No. And that is why the birthday is only a continuation day. The nature of the cloud is nature of no birth, because the cloud has not come from non-being into, into being. And when we say the cloud has died, because we don't see the cloud anymore, and we believe that the cloud has come from the realm of being into the realm of non-being, and we cry. We are caught by our grief because our beloved cloud is no longer there. But in fact, we know that a cloud cannot become nothing. A cloud can only become the rain or the snow or the hell and so on. So we know that the nature of the cloud is the nation of no death, no birth and no death. And that goes along very well with the first law of thermodynamics. There is no creation, there is no destruction, there is no birth and no death. If you believe that there is a beginning of the cosmos, you can create a theory like a Big Bang. But if there is a Big Bang, there should be later on a big crunch. So looking into the nature of, uh, of the cloud, we see that the true nature of a cloud is the nature of no birth and no death. 
So the underneath the conventional truth, with birth and death, we see the ground of no birth and no death, not only for our cloud, but for everything else. Our nature is nature of no birth and no death. And that is uh, a concentration, a concentration that helps you to touch the nature of no birth and no death. And if uh, we can uproot the notion of birth and death, we uproot the same time the notion of being and non-being. Because birth means from non-being you become being. And uh, death means from being you become non-being. So when you uproot the notion of birth and death, you uproot the notion of being and non-being. That is why the Buddha has said that right view is the inside that is free from the notion of being and non-being. When we speak about God, we have to be careful. You should not say God exists or God does not exist. Because God is the ultimate. You cannot ascribe to God the notion of being or non-being. And there are theologians who say that God is the ground of being, like Paul Tillich. And you may ask him if God is the ground of being, and who will be the ground of non-being? So to say God does not exist is wrong, but to say that God exists is equally wrong, because you cannot use the notion of being and non-being to describe God. And that is ultimate, that is equal to nirvana, and nirvana is the absence of all notions, including the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. <coughs> And when we, when we are born as a person or as a cloud, they say that uh, we have come. But uh, <clears throat> let us um, play a little bit with uh, the flame. We know the flame is somewhere there. It's hidden somewhere. We can talk to the flame. You cannot describe the flame or as being or non-being. Before it manifests as a flame, you cannot tell that it does not exist. It belongs to the realm of being. And when he, he manif- she manifests as a flame, you cannot either say that she belongs to the realm of being. Because uh, not only a cloud cannot be described as in terms of being and non-being. Not only God cannot be spoken of in terms of being and non-being, but also the, the flame, a flame. So we can say that, uh, dear, my dear Cloud, I don't think that you, you belong to the realm of non-being. You are in the realm of interbeing. And uh, when conditions are sufficient, you manifest. 
there's not a birth, that is only a manifestation. You are not, darling, you are not a creation. You are only a manifestation, a wonderful manifestation. And if you don't manifest in this form, you manifest in another form. Darling, it's impossible for you to die. If I am mindful, concentrated, I can still recognize your presence in another form. I should not uh, cry. So he can talk to the flame already. My dear little flame, I know you are there somewhere. Manifest for us. And the flame say, Dear Thay, dear Sangha, I am ready to manifest for you. <laughs> All conditions seem to be sufficient except the last one. <laughs> so we are providing the flame with the last uh, condition she manifests. So beautiful. And we like to ask the flame, my dear little beautiful flame, where have you come from? This is about coming and going. And the flame will answer like this. Dear Thayde Sangha, I have come from nowhere. My nature is no coming. I have not come from the south. I have not come from the north either. I have not come from the east or the west. My nature is no coming. Non-local. When conditions are sufficient, I manifest. And we know that uh, the flame has told us the truth. Her nature is no coming. And we may ask, uh, dear little flame, we miss you. Where have you gone? <laughs> and the flame answered, dear Thay, dear Sangha, I have not gone anywhere. I have not gone to the south, not to the north, not to the east, not to the west. When conditions are no longer sufficient, I stop manifestation in order to manifest otherwise. And that is true. If we have observed, we will see that during her brief manifestation, she has taken many forms, like uh, during our brief uh, manifestation on this earth, we have created thought, uh, speech, and action. So during, so during that uh, few seconds, the flame has created a beautiful image that has penetrated into all of us. That flame has created the heat that has entered the cosmos. That flame has created uh, some uh, smoke that go up to become part of a cloud. So she is continued by her action. During her uh, brief manifestation, uh, she has produced uh, action and she continues in us and around us. Nothing is lost. 
So the flame has not died. The flame continues always with those who know how to how to meditate. So not only God, not only the cloud, not only the flame have the nature of no birth and no death, but that true nature is no coming, no going. And now we come to the to the fourth pair of opposite, which is the sameness or otherness. We have a second flame, and we ask uh, this uh, flame whether she, she is the same with the other flame, or she is another flame. If we, if we keep uh, the candle here, and we go out for 15 minutes, and we go, go back, we can ask the same question. Are you the same uh, flame that uh, that I saw when I left, or now, or you are a different flame already. And that is uh, the question he can ask. And the flame can tell you that, uh, dear Thay, dear Sangha, I am neither the same with the other flame, and I am not a totally different flame either. That is the answer. Neither the same or a different flame. That is the teaching of the Buddha. That is the teaching of the middle way. You transcend the notion of sameness and otherness. And you touch the nature of no self. <clears throat> when you look into the album and at your picture when you were three years old, you see that, that little boy, that little girl, very vulnerable, fragile, and you ask yourself whether you are the same person with that little child. And the answer is the same. You are not the same because you are so different. You have grown up into an adult. Your form, your feelings, your mental formation, your perceptions are entirely different. So you are not the same person with that little little boy or little girl. But you are not a different person either because you are a continuation of that child. So the reality is that everything is impermanent. Nothing can be the same in two consecutive moments. That is why although you are not the same, you are not an entirely different uh, person either. So nirvana is uh, the ultimate truth that uh, transcends all kinds of notions, including the notions of being and non-being, birth and death, coming and going, sameness or otherness. And uh, if we don't let go of these notions, we can never touch the ultimate and touching the ultimate that make you free of fear, fear of 
being born fear of uh, dying. <coughs> and uh, there is uh, that uh, practice of uh, concentration <coughs> that is available in every school of Buddhism. The three doors of liberation. You can find the teaching of the three doors of liberation everywhere in every Buddhist tradition. That is the contemplation on uh, emptiness, contemplation on uh, signlessness and the contemplation of aimlessness không vô tưởng vô Although this is the ultimate reality, it can be applied. Because there are two kinds of truth, conventional truth and ultimate truth. You are sitting here in America and we believe that uh, this direction is the above. And if there is a above, there must be a below. And this is the direction of the below. For us, there's no doubt that this is the above and this is the below. But people who are practicing sitting meditation in Japan, they are sitting somehow upside down. <laughs> What we consider to be our above, that is their below. So that is uh, below and above belong to the realm of conventional truth. As far as the cosmos is concerned, there is no below, there is no uh, above. The notion of inside, outside also apply. But the conventional truth can be applied. If you build a house, you know, should know which is the below to begin with. <laughs> you cannot begin with the above. So applicable truth. But when you come to the ultimate truth, that can be applicable also. And when you touch the, the absolute, when you touch the, the, the ultimate, you lose all kind of notions and together with fear, nirvana, is uh, coolness, the extinction of the burning. Uh, afflictions like fear, anger, despair are born from notions of being and non-being. 
sameness of otherness. And as far as these notions are still there, you continue to suffer because of uh, anger, fear, despair, and so on. Once you can let go of these notions, transcend pairs of opposite, and you touch the ultimate, and then uh, you get the cooling down of every affliction. No more fear, no more anger, no more despair. And that is why nirvana means extinction, cooling down. And that was a popular term in India at that time. In the morning, you go to the kitchen and you touch the ash and you see that everything is cool. The fire that you used to cook yesterday has, has gone and you don't risk burning your fingers anymore. That state is nirvana, no burning, no burning anymore. So we can get many kinds of relief practicing the Dharma, but the greatest relief you get only when you have touched the ultimate nirvana, and that is possible only if you let go of notions like uh, being and non-being, birth and death, and so on. This is possible with meditation, looking deeply into a cloud or a pebble or anything, because anything is, is teaching you the ultimate. A flower is teaching impermanence, no self, into being, and nirvana, just listen. God is speaking to you, the Dharma body is speaking, to you about the ultimate. You need to have a kind of ear that can listen to the Dharma talk given by the flower, given by the cloud, and so on. So emptiness means uh, there is nothing that can remain the same forever. When you look at this flower, you see the flower is full of the cosmos. The cloud, the sunshine, the earth, everything. And why we call it empty? In fact, it is full of everything, but it has no self-nature. Self-nature, svabhava. It has no self, because a flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower can only interbe with the whole cosmos. No separate self, empty of a separate existence. That is the meaning of emptiness. And how do you apply in your daily life? When you look into your son or your daughter, you see that your son is made of uh, elements, including yourself. You exist in, the, in every cell of your son. And uh, in every cell of your son, there is the existence of uh, all ancestors. And removing your ancestors and parents, there is no son left, no daughter left. 
And that is why sun is, is devoid of a separate self. The nature of the sun is emptiness. So you see yourself in your sun and you see your sun in yourself. The suffering of your son is your own suffering and the happiness of your son is your own happiness. So with that kind of, uh, of insight, of interbeing, of emptiness, of self, no more ang- anger is possible. No more discrimination is possible. No more anger is possible. And that is why emptiness is a door of uh, liberation. The other day I was talking to you about bowing to a Buddha. And before you bow to the Buddha, be sure that you have, you got the insight of interbeing. Dear Buddha, you are empty of a self. You are made of non-Buddha elements and I am in you. I am made of non-me elements. I, I am empty of a separate self. And that is why I know that you are in me. And before you have that insight of emptiness, bowing does not have any effect. No real communication is possible. So the same thing should be possible between father and son, uh, black and white, uh, right hand and left hand. So emptiness is a door of liberation. Signlessness. We are caught by the outer appearance. When our beloved cloud is no longer in its usual form, we cry. But the rain, which is the continuation of a cloud, is calling us. Darling, darling, why do you cry? I am still here. Look at me. And if you have the eyes of signlessness, you can recognize your beloved cloud in her new manifestation. And that is the second door of liberation. Let us not be attached to the appearance. Let not us uh, be um, caught by, by, by the sign, by the form, outer form. And the person we love, uh, although we don't see her in the same form, but she's always there in her new uh, manifestation. And with the Dharma eye, you can recognize her in the here and the now. Nothing is lost. And that is the second door of liberation. And the third door, aimlessness, is about craving. We want to long, we long for something. We crave for something, whether that is fame, or power, or wealth, or love, or God, or the kingdom of God, or nirvana. Because we think that we don't have that in the here and the now. But in fact, we are already uh, happiness. We are already enlightenment. Uh, Buddhahood is in us. The kingdom of God is, is us, is inside of us and around us. You are already what you want to become. The water, the, the, the wave does not have to run looking for water. She is water 
in the here and the now. And that is the meditation on aimlessness. And with that kind of insight, you don't run anymore. And you begin to be happy. Happiness is uh, possible now. Once you have stopped running for the object of your craving, even craving for enlightenment, craving for nirvana, because uh, your very ground is nirvana. You are of the nature of no birth and no death. Uh, uh, no coming, no going, no being, no non-being. So uh, it would be wonderful if we can arrange so that we will be less busy in our daily life. Because this meditation is wonderful. It can uh, help us touch the ultimate, touch the God. It is possible. And the purpose of one's life, of the life of a person, is not just to, to seek for material comforts or affective comfort. We have to seek for the absolute, for the, the ultimate. And this is possible if we have enough time, if we can arrange our life in such a way that uh, every moment of our daily life we can look at things, at ourselves deeply, and touch the nature of nirvana, uh, of no birth and no death in us. As uh, a member of the Sangha, because every one of us has uh, our physical body, but we have our Buddha body. We do have a Buddha body because we are capable of generating mindfulness, concentration, and insight. We need to have a Dharma body because the Dharma body is our practice, our daily practice. With our Dharma body, without our Dharma body, we cannot uh, handle difficulties in our daily life. So we have to allow our Dharma body to grow. And with a solid Dharma body, we are no longer afraid of obstacles and, and difficulties in our daily life anymore. And we have also our Sangha body. Without the Sangha, uh, we cannot uh, grow, we cannot uh, continue our practice. And uh, every one of us should be a cell in the Sangha body. A Sangha is a community that can generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration, insight, brotherhood and sisterhood. And if uh, in our daily life we can generate these energies, we are really a cell in our Sangha body. We have no uh, complex. Because walking, sitting, uh, cooking, cleaning, we can generate the energy of mindfulness and concentration. We are a real cell in the Sangha body. We are building our Sangha. And if we are an authentic cell of the Sangha body, we are also a cell in the Buddha body. It's very nice to be a cell in the body of the Buddha. If, if, uh, if that cell is generating the energy of mindfulness, 
concentration and insight. Because a Buddha body is made of these energies. And if you can generate these three uh, energies, you are really a cell in a Buddha body. It's nice to be a cell in a Buddha body. Yeah, it's nice to be a Buddha. To be a Buddha is possible, right here and right now. So uh, we have received uh, the mindfulness trainings. We have seen our path, our way. And every moment of our, uh, of, of, of our day can be a happy moment, a peaceful moment. We learn how to make good use of the suffering of the negative elements in order to build peace and happiness and brotherhood. And we should uh, continue well. And we should be the light. We should help other people transmit to other people that kind of vision, that kind of uh, understanding and compassion that can help them suffer less and begin to taste uh, the nectar of, uh, of uh, no birth and no death. Every one of us should be a torch, should be a light, and we have to transmit that light uh, into the future. We are the continuation of the Buddha. <laughs>